I'm Steve Backshaw, and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Alright guys, welcome to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Adrian here, and I'm here of course with Steve. Good guys. And we're very lucky today to have with us my very good friend, Dr. Chris Hunt. Chris is a general practitioner with an interest in mental health and Indigenous health. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much, Adrian. Mate, thanks for coming on the show. I've known you for well over a decade. Yep, yep. Probably 15 years now. Very, very long time. Feels much longer than that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And we've had a lot of great chats about the benefits of just getting outside. Hmm. And... And we talk a lot about that on the show, Steve and I, mm. with, with guests as well. And we, we thought we'd ask you, you know, we, we feel better when we're outside, but this is scientifically proven. It's very hard to prove things around happiness. Um, there's, it's a, an interesting field of psychology called positive psychology, which studies the nature of happiness. And another very interesting field of psychology called evolutionary psychology, which is sort of something I've taken a real interest in, particularly working with First Nations people. Um, that the uh, the way that we feel, how happy we are, is intricately linked to our relationship with the world around us, um, the, our social circle, our natural environment. So there's certainly there's a lot of evidence that um, our environment has a, an impact on our mental health. And we can certainly, simple cases in the field of medicine, you can certainly see uh, how poor environment has a negative impact on your health if you live in a very polluted city it's going to be bad for you if you sit inside all day you don't get any vitamin d vitamin d is very important for bone health and for mental health and so you know that's quite easy to extend some of the simple things and say well it's probably a lot that we don't fully understand but getting out and being outside and in nature is probably good for you i heard today uh, it was one study it was in america and it said that chickens mm-hmm farmed chickens and prison inmates spend more time outside than children these days. <laughs> That's uh, quite a disturbing little factoid, but it wouldn't surprise me, actually, because the, poor, the prison inmates are not stuck in front of a screen all day. They're itching to get outside and get some exercise, and that's, yeah. If you forced your children to go and be outside for a couple of hours every day, uh, they would probably get out and run around a bit more because they'd just be so sick of being cooped up indoors. But we make make the indoors pretty attractive in today's world, don't we? It's uh, a lot of distractions to keep us inside. So, Well, it's a funny one because we, we go and harvest our food from a supermarket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, I mean, that used to come from How did we get door. to the supermarket? We sat inside a little metal cage and drove there using no no energy whatsoever. So, I mean, uh, just this morning, um, we were at the hospital and they asked, how far could you walk without interruption? You know, it's part of, a, part of an anaesthetic-style screen. And I said, I don't think many people would know the answer to that question anymore. How many people have walked as far as they could in any given time recently? Not many of us, I wouldn't think. So we're certainly losing that connection with our bodies. Um, And as we, you know, because we buy stuff from the shops and then we sit around on our bum all day at our office, um, our bodies are getting bigger and sort of that extra layer of insulation seems to insulate us even more from our own physical processes. A lot of us don't know what's going on in our bodies a lot of the time. Yeah. Cushioning. Cushioning. And it's interesting yeah. to talk about walking. I mean, it's one of my favourite things to do, just getting out. We love getting out there as much as possible. Yeah, mm. the sights, the sounds. A lot of people go to the gym mm. and they'll run on a treadmill 
you know, they'll go up and down the gym floor. They might be in a gymnasium doing some kind of a sport. But a lot of mm. um, movement coaches, they get their athletes outside because of the uneven surfaces. Uh, maybe well, you might know this better than I do. Yeah. Um, I mean, so let's say just something like the ankle. Very, very complex joint. I mean, at first glance, you look at it and it sort of goes up and down. But in reality, it sort of goes up and down. It rolls in and out and it can twist gently from side to side. So the idea that you'd somehow be doing everything you need to do to that ankle running on a treadmill is kind of silly, actually, once you sort of get outside and realise how much your feet have to shape over ground. I mean, we almost none of us walk around bare feet anymore, but if you have a look at the foot, there's a very, very large amount of bones in the foot. I can't remember precisely what it is, but uh, it's designed to sort of shape and curve over surfaces. We have all sorts of issues with podiatry and such nowadays that I wonder if we took a more I don't know I'm not saying that it's always a smart idea to walk around with no shoes on in fact I work I work with a population who walk around without shoes quite a lot and they end up getting lots of horrible foot infections so you know there's always a positive and negatives to everything but um yeah you do wonder how many long-term podiatry problems could be fixed by just getting out and walking around a bit more in a more natural environment with more natural sort of ways and it's it's part of that evolutionary thing the human body is well adapted to surviving in the natural environment it's really good at getting energy from a wide variety of different food sources Um, and so when you feed it nothing but bread and cheese it's really good at getting the energy from that Uh, and it's designed to move efficiently over varied terrain which we don't tend to use that for anymore I guess uh, the biggest issue that I see in general practice is obesity and diabetes and um, this really is a disease of the modern world which has come from us moving further and further away from the natural world, both in a society at large and on a personal level. So, so obesity is a big issue. What about, mm. like, you know, there's a lot of physical issues you can imagine of just a sedentary lifestyle, mm. sitting mm. in front of a screen. Yep. What about mentally? Absolutely. Well, um, I mean, uh, how many of us have our social interactions sitting in front of a screen nowadays? Talking about evolutionary psychology before, uh, I've read research in the past that suggests that humans are really designed to work in groups of about 30 to 50 people. We can know those people well, we can take interest in their history, we can um, help them through their daily life, we can interact with them and and be really invested in their outcome because that's about the size of the extended family groups and small tribes that have been around for the majority of human history. So our brains are geared really well for that. Um, Whereas now with social media, we can have hundreds or even thousands of friends and followers on social media, which we're interacting with on a very superficial level. And despite having all of these friends, inverted quotation marks in our life, um, despite having all these friends, we can actually feel much more isolated than before because we don't actually get out sit outside with these people, get a bit of sun on our skin, talk about the important things in life because we're so busy blogging what we had for lunch. A lot of depression and anxiety, people are feeling isolated despite being more electronically connected than ever before. Quite a common feeling that a lot of people have. It's a sense of isolation. That's interesting. I mean, Dunbar's number, you've probably heard of, it's 150. 150, yes. Okay, so that's... 
I said 30 to 50, but I'm trying to remember back to the research. And I was, was but Dunbar's number, what was that? Was that a sort of a about maximum? 150 that people that you, you could know. But it's interesting. I mean, because we do live in our houses now mm. and we, we go to shop lobbies talked about to get our food. We're not, we, we don't need those groups as much. I mean, we do when we go to work. We can't produce mm. an automobile on our own. Yes, so I mean, our lives are full of people and interactions with people, but they're becoming much, much more trivial. Less, you know. So, so I'll see fifty people in the shops, and I might smile, I might nod, I might exchange money with them, but sitting down and having a, you know, important conversation about how I'm feeling, or about how they're feeling, or about how their family is going, there's yeah, there's only a small number of people that you know you really do that with. Problem is, is that all the distraction takes up your time, and you don't end up having enough time to sit down with those people that are really important to you. Uh, so we've got to be careful about the distraction of the modern world, and that's uh, one of the things I love about the natural world is it provides a bit of a cure for that distraction. Just sitting under a tree, listening to the birds, and I can hear the birds echoing through the headset right now, and it's quite pleasant. Just reconnecting with the fact that nature is it's relatively simple and it just keeps going on despite all the myriad of distractions and stresses that we have in our life if we sit and pause there's a whole world which is going on and living just beyond our comprehension which we can enjoy without getting totally wrapped up in and um, totally destroyed by if you know what i mean i, I do because it is it's complex, isn't it, mm. living, living in society these days? It's really confusing. You have to just keep your mind running on so many different things at once. What are your thoughts on meditation? Well, I guess that brings me to the thing that I was about to say, which was uh, I think meditation is a really, really valuable uh, tool. I mean, it's there's no doubt I, I wouldn't be understating it to say that when I learned to meditate, it completely changed my life. I'd learned a lot about cognitive behavioural therapy, a lot about psychology, but how to actually pull that into your life, it all felt very theoretical until a lovely little Buddhist monk taught me how to meditate. Um, and when I learnt how to make my own mind calm, I was then able to more clearly see how I could take all of the stuff that I'd learnt in psychology and build that into my own life and actually start to practice it. And for me, nature is just sorry not it's not just a tool but it's a very valuable tool to help me turn my reflection inside and to calm down and get away from those distractions which normally your mind is full of memories and plans i have to go to the shops i have to do this oh my gosh what happened yesterday is that going to happen again i'm so feel so foolish all these sorts of things that your mind races on nature gives you an opportunity to meditate i guess and i think that's always been part of the human condition is to find a certain amount of mental peace in nature there's also an awful lot of stress in nature i mean our ancestors had to worry about you know where they were going to find food from and where they were uh, you know are we going to get eaten by a lion tonight while we're sleeping <laughs> those sorts of things so there's you know yeah. i don't want to romanticize the whole thing but i'd say in our increasingly modern and rushed world there's also an increasing need for us to to hang on to the natural world as a way of chilling out, meditating and reconnecting. So do you subscribe to your patients, have a bushwalk, have a meditate <laughs> and see me in the morning? Um, look, I'd, I'd love it if that was something that I could do and fix all my patients. Uh, no, what I do is I sit and listen to what 
issues the patients are having. And with mental health, there's often a wide variety of approaches that you need to take. So for many people, I will actually suggest, you know what, I reckon some antidepressants would work well for you. But at the same time, there's no point in me leaving it there because could a a move to a diet that's richer in fruit and vegetables potentially help them? Yes, entirely possible. Um, A diet that's um, lower in sugar or caffeine or things that cause these kind of ups and downs or exaggerate the ups and downs of daily life, that can be very valuable. Could they get benefit from exercising and walking more? Absolutely. That's been proven very, very comfortably in mental health. Could they benefit from going out and getting more sun on their skin and potentially more vitamin D? Well, yes, that's entirely likely. So, um, you know, it's very important to take a multidisciplinary approach to this. I do often find myself teaching meditation to people because a lot of people have never experienced the enjoyment that comes from having a peaceful mind because we're just so distracted all the time. There's so much to get done on any given day. And just telling people, you know what? I'm going to teach you how to have a little 10-minute holiday from your thoughts. At the end of it, universally, people say, oh, wow, that's amazing. That's really good. Isn't that called alcohol? Uh, well, that's, I'm really glad you mentioned that because we're so, we are so eager to experience that peaceful mind. When something gives us that easily, like alcohol or marijuana or another drug that just helps your mind calm out, one of the problems becomes then that you start to chase that experience through that substance and that can become quite problematic for a lot of people i'm not saying that you shouldn't enjoy alcohol or uh, anything else in moderation but i am <laughs> but i am saying that I, there is knowing that what you're after is that experience of a peaceful mind you you can try to become aware of the addictive nature of these things that give you easy answers and you're not actually learning the value of learning how to calm your mind and yourself. That's why I think that just experiencing nature is potentially a more safe and safer and sustainable way of finding that peaceful mind that we're all searching for. Um, yeah, no, so I, I don't, I don't um, prescribe people a walk and a meditate, but it's, uh, there's not... It's the sort of thing that was only useful for people that breathe oxygen, you know? Uh, Have you ever prescribed a, a cold beer to a patient? Cold beer to a patient? Mm-hmm. I would I would definitely uh, prescribe getting together with some friends and sitting down and having a chat. And if that happens to involve cold beer or coffee, that would be just fine. <laughs> my, I love it. Yeah. Um, Steve and I, this month, we're doing Sober October. Ah, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, good, have, good, good. We haven't had a drink all month, and we're at the, Excellent. We're at the end of the month now. And how are you feeling about that? It's Looking like, forward to... Feel good. Can't remember November? Can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bend yeah. of December. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bend of December. All right. So Is we'll catch that? you guys in January. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, look, it's interesting. In the last 25 days, is your life significantly worse for not having had alcohol? So so much better sleep. I hate I hate to admit things like this, mm. but sleep wise, so much better. So much better. Yeah. yeah, we often find that a lot of people become dependent on a small amount of alcohol to help them sleep. And when that alcohol wears off in the middle of the night, people can often find themselves waking up in the middle of the night and their bodies going, "Okay, yep, where's that drink? Thanks, mate." Yeah. So um, it, yeah, look, it's interesting. Um, a lot of the time, when it comes to substance issues, people find it really hard to see past to a life without it 
But once you've experienced it for a month or so, you sort of go, you know what? Life's not worse off. How much money have I got left over? And the fact that I'm simple fact that I'm not dependent on that anymore to provide that sense of peace that I'm after is really good. I mean, sorry, I'm yammering on. I'm talking a lot, but uh, I quit sugar about a year ago now, and um, for the first week it was weird. My body went through all sorts of weird, strange withdrawal symptoms. But after a while, things started levelling out and started feeling really good. Lost a lot of weight. Just felt much better about myself. And every now and then I fall off the wagon and think, oh, there won't be any harm in sitting and eating a bit of that cake. But I now really notice sugar crashes, which I didn't notice before, but I, I realise how much I was in a cycle of, I need something now. I feel fantastic for a bit. And then later on it's like, oh, my gosh, it all sucks. So um, I'm starting to appreciate much more how much role of a role our diet probably pay, plays in things like mental health people are waking up every morning feeling depressed is it just because they've run low on blood sugar and their brain's saying all right come on get up and um i need that sugar and the depression feeling comes from not having the sugar in their bloodstream at that particular point in time ah. yeah it is strange because like i, I mm. say better sleep and not that i ever drunk a lot no i'm not an alcoholic i'm no. not an alcoholic no, okay, that's no, so fine. That's fine. Just so, yeah. very clearly, I'm not judging you as being one. Although, methinks he doth protest too much. Anyway, um, my name's Steve. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, like better sleep. Mm. Um, and I, maybe I've just not had a very stressful month. But I don't. I don't think I've had as many stressful periods. Mm. Well, as well, we know that alcohol is a depressant, and having it on a consistent basis for long enough does contribute to depression. At the same time, a lot of people are using alcohol to treat the symptoms of depression because it helps them forget their problems. So, so look, I mean, alcohol is a very widespread substance. It is, for many people, it's more problematic than they realise. And then, you know, you can work in some places where you, it's very obvious how problematic alcohol is and it's still very difficult to get over because the people that are that are dependent on alcohol are very dependent on it it's a very dependence forming and they need it both you know they might be trying to forget terrible experiences and that's the only way that they've found that works plus there's the the chemical dependency so i would love to see a world in which alcohol was minimized or or used in a more recreational fashion than it is in australia i think it's probably more widespread than is healthy in Australia. And a lot of that's our drinking culture. As I said, if sitting down with a friend and, and um, you know, talking through things involves a glass of cold beer, I'm very happy. Go, go ahead. That's great. But um, if that's the only way that you can achieve some semblance of peace or satisfaction is to have a half a dozen cold beers, it's probably worth thinking about where you're at at the moment. I think moderation's a really big word, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. I think, you know, moderation in, is very important. That said, <laughs> addiction medicine is a really fantastic thing. Uh, and this is just my personal experience. I found that moderating sugar intake did not work, period. And it wasn't until I said, right, that's it. This is not for me anymore. I'm giving up this stuff that okay. I actually sort of started to make some progress on it. Because when you're addicted to a substance, even a small amount of it can uh, trigger off the... Uh, the, the neural pathways which contribute to that dependency. So 
classic one with you mentioned hello my name is steve and i'm an alcoholic which is not obviously i'm sorry for bringing that up again steve um but the the alcoholics anonymous says i'm always an alcoholic doesn't matter how long i've been sober for how long since my last drink i'm always an alcoholic and i need to recognize that my brain is hardwired to that substance and it wants that substance and it doesn't take very much to get on that roundabout at that treadmill again um so yes i agree moderation and balance in all things but if you are genuinely addicted to a substance it's moderation can be a lot harder than you think yeah that's interesting have you ever seen anybody addicted to exercise and it be a negative thing i I have no just no you have it yeah, yeah. You, you can absolutely be addicted to exercise. Um, there's a lot of people that, that do have that, a lot of gym junkies, as you say. Um, and you could potentially only see that as a positive thing. I would, I would say that I have met people who have been really fit, really gym junkie sort of people in their life. And once they sort of get to their 40s and the body doesn't work the same way um, it used to and they can't maintain the, the same number of reps or the same times that they used to be running at that can actually hit them with a real identity crisis um, they can actually develop a real um, a real depression or mental difficulty around the fact that the way that they had defined themselves before um, is no longer working as well. That w- they're not able to keep themselves up to the same level as before. That said, that's just another part that they just need to work through that. And um, so, no, generally exercise is a, one of those healthy adaptive behaviours. If people are using exercise to to ward off difficult feelings, it's probably a good thing. But, you know, again, you could take it too far. It's entirely <laughs> possible. Yeah. I don't know whether I want to mention it or not. Well, I, might, I might edit this out, but go for it. I used to be I, when I, when I was younger, I went through a period of depression, mm. and one of the things that got me through was well, I changed a lot of things in my life. I, ch- I started eating healthy. Mm. I ate crap when I was a teenager. I um, discovered affirmations, so mm. I had little positive things all over the place, like I am loved, I am intelligent. All these things changed my negative mental commentary into something positive. Changing your self-talk is a really that's that's massive yeah yeah and you made me think of that when you talked about neural pathways Mm. i think it's like i've heard uh, an analogy said to me it's like a bobsled and if it keeps going down the same path it cuts out ruts Mm. and to try Mm. to change those ruts whether they're good or bad um is difficult but you create new pathways yeah Um, where was i heading with that oh so i I got into meditation and Mm. i became addicted to meditation yeah and I had some profound experiences, and, and you and I have talked about these, and it's a bit esoteric, but I, I, the first time it ever happened, I was looking around my house, and I was not in my body. I had, my consciousness had left my body. Mm. I could see every detail in my room. I was completely awake, and I was like, I'm not in my body. So I just started floating around going, I exist with no form. This is bizarre. And then I found myself back in my body, and I was... I don't know, for want of a better term, somewhat enlightened. Like hmm. I experienced an existence without nerve endings, without stress. With it was amazing. I was like, whoa, and it changed. So I got right into meditation, and then I had like a voice come to me and say, 
You, you're actually here to live your life, mate. You actually got to get outside and interact and do stuff. You don't want to be that trippy hmm. guy in the robes up on the hill that doesn't associate with anything or anybody. You've actually got to go out there and make mistakes. You've got to have an opinion on something. You can't just rise above it all. You've got to live your life. That, that's I, I'm actually really glad that you shared that experience for, for a number of different reasons. First one is, is that mental health issues are far more common than um, a lot of people feel when they're going through it. Like, and so just being able to say that and talk about it is actually really valuable. And, I'll, and I will share too that I've had issues with my mental health in the past and that's one of the reasons I really enjoy this, this work that I do um, and that I feel that I can bring a lot to it is because of my experiences. So please don't edit it out. Please keep it in there. <laughs> the other one is too that you've, you've mentioned you're talking very much about the spiritual path that we follow in life. Um, it's hard to not meditate for a while and then start to develop a spiritual aspect to yourself. And that, to me, is another aspect of nature which is really important. When you, when you start to find the spiritual within yourself and you realise that I'm a spiritual being, how do I connect to the rest of the spiritual world, um, to other human beings and to the divine underpinnings of the creation that I see around me um, that's that's something that the natural world naturally draws you to and uh, forces you to face within yourself but your your uh, story of deciding between going to the the very internal spiritual and deciding to go out in the world and experience thing that's something that every every saint and mystic has had to grapple with over the course of their life uh, over the course of history in every religion it's like do you just go and meditate in the cave and keep it all to yourself well that's not actually a satisfying existence either because um, all you learn then learn how to do is to be calm and peaceful in a cave with nobody bothering you so part of it is you know getting out and still living your life and moving on with living your life and then tempering that by not becoming wrapped up in all of the bullshit which your life can throw at you. So being being spiritual and also being present, there's a real it's quite it's quite a knack. It's quite hard to learn. And it's, you know, part of the part of the path that we all have to walk is to realise how much to go down that spiritual path and how much to keep walking our way in the world. Because we are on this earth for some degree of time and if we go spiritual and we stop eating you we, we will die <laughs> you know that's not necessarily a bad thing but you know it's um yeah you can't just go off and do nothing it's actually probably not the way to happiness and that was what the uh, that was what the buddha found when you mentioned you're feeling enlightened the buddha put people down the middle path bit of both balance bit of everything yeah i've heard it said that if we are uh divine creatures then we're doing a really bad job but if we are talking monkey we're doing an amazing job so. <laughs> <I'd> say, <laughs> well we're, we're very good at the whole talking monkey thing aren't we? Yeah. Um, um, so there's a lot of studies so I'll change the subject you brought it back go. to nature there with your monkey comment well I done. did didn't I That's right. <laughs> what are we the Aussie wildlife show <laughs> <laughs> um, so some people <laughs> thanks for that yeah <laughs> So there's a lot of studies that show having a pet is is beneficial to our well-being. Mm. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. 
I'm not exactly sure what whether those studies have found a definitive causative link, but you know, it certainly fits in well with my philosophy that um, natural stuff is pretty good. Evolutionary psychology would say that um, humans and dogs have actually been coexisting together for many, many tens of thousands of years. Uh, they are the first thing that we domesticated. They provide protection. They uh, can help us with our hunting. They can get us food. They can keep away things that want to eat us it's really valuable for us to have a connection to a dog and when we look in a dog's eyes and we see the face of god which i do so often when i look into a dog's eyes um it's very valuable for me to find a connection with that animal so that would be the evolutionary psychology explanation for that but you know it's just something about particularly dogs i mean hopefully neither of you guys are cat people but particularly dogs that when you're feeling really down just to have something that feels like it really loves you and doesn't require much from you in return for that it's not it's not a complicated kind of love maybe there's a um maybe there's a hint of perfect divine love in the way that a dog loves you in the way that you love a dog yeah dogs are awesome really good for mental health i'd love to um i've got this gorgeous little caramel um caramel colored moodle which I think would be a fantastic therapy dog, you know, just take her, take her to see someone who's feeling really sick and just, just have a pat while we're having a chat. It's probably, probably would help a gazillion, that uh, would help a great deal, yeah. Well, it's happening a lot. You see a lot of um, retirement villages and hospitals mm. are having pet therapy animals coming in and also to plants. Sorry to talk about plants. I always seem to bring it back to plants. But we'll having, be back in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> well, we know that, I mean, if somebody's just had surgery, if they don't have a window versus somebody that's just had surgery and does have a window looking out into a garden, yeah. they, um, they heal quicker. Yep, absolutely. Yes, great. Yeah, you're selling this for me, I'm mate. Sell, I'm selling yeah. so, The problem so, with yeah. nature is that it doesn't have a very good PR guy. That's that's the biggest issue, is that there's not enough money to be made out of telling people just to sit quietly under a tree, mm. you know? I, if I could put that in a bottle form and convince people it was good for them and sell it to them at a dollar a tablet, it'd be awesome. All the money's in exploiting it, although yeah. tourism is an exception. Yeah. Because we all, I mean, what, it's quite ironic. Like, we used to just be always in perfect nature. We used to be in it's a actually, diverse ecosystem. But now we work so hard so that at Christmas time we can take the family to somewhere that's got a palm tree or a that's beach. That's been unspoiled. <laughs> that's what I really love about the place I work in at the moment. It's a remote island in um, far north Queensland. And um, it just hasn't been developed. And you just get to witness Australia the way it was. And the, the people there are 95% Aboriginal people and you get to see them just living on their land. The land is the way it was. Their lifestyle is unfortunately has been way too modernised and it's unhealthy for the people there. But um, it's just beautiful to see the fact that there are still places that just exist and we haven't ruined yet. Um, but it's, it is a bit of a shame that those places are now just becoming tourist attractions. You know, hey, this is what this is what the Earth was once like. You know, oh god, it's a scary sort of world in the future where trees are kept in little glass jars in uh, in buildings. Anyway, yeah, yeah, and this is an untouched area, so let's all go there at Christmas time. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> there's no people there, and, it, and it's true. Yeah, there's um, the more. I dislike going places and finding there's gazillion other, I mean, gazillion other people around. My favourite hobby is just to hop on the bicycle and just shoot off somewhere and just find a quiet place by the side of the road to sleep. Just like have no one, no people around. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it is so <laughs> liberating. 
Um, it, yeah, it really is. Just to sleep outside, have the, the sun and the moon go over you in their natural course and not have anyone coming along bothering you. Yeah. Alone time is important, but do you mm. think people miss out on that because even if they are alone, they've still got their device and their... Oh their friends on social media yeah yeah i mean it's very hard to to willingly give up that that electronic connection to other people but yeah they could we could all benefit from turning it off and taking 10 minutes out of our memories and our plans and having a little holiday from our thoughts and distractions and just examining what there is inside of us when we're quiet there's a lot to be found there was there was a great thing that happened when we were driving yesterday where my phone actually flashed up on the phone to say this week you've done two hours and ten minutes less screen time on your phone than you did last week and it was was stupid it was a bit motivational yeah really all right well fuck you i'm gonna turn that off yeah Yeah. so (laughs) it was a bit like that that's actually quite cool two hours yeah, yeah. Is that well, an app you've got, Steve? That does no, that. No, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> oh, right. Oh. I'm so, 41 years old. I have no idea what phones do. Yeah, <laughs> just flash that up at me. I don't know. Well, it's it's interesting when we're talking about alcohol. Could screen time be the next big addiction and next big epidemic? Um, it would be one big worry for you, especially with the kids. Yeah, yeah. I, I I quite like youth mental health mm. and. Um, I like that's that's an area I have interest in probably because you know young people tend to have some of the biggest issues with identity and finding their way in the world um, and I worry that growing up uh, going through your late teenage years and your early 20s in a world where you feel like everyone can scrutinize your every move online or you feel the pressure to put the best version of yourself out online doesn't leave much room for genuine physical and spirit uh, sorry genuine emotional and spiritual growth in that time period of your life so i would certainly like to do phonectomies on a lot of my younger patients it would probably help them no end um you know one in the communities that i work there's a real understanding that if kids are having trouble getting them out bush is really important for them and just getting them away from the phones from the other negative influences can be did you you just say phonectomy phonectomy yeah (laughs) do you make that up then yes (laughs) i actually haven't thought of that one before i often talk about phonectomies tabletectomies and husbandectomies in my work um all of these can be be potentially valuable for people um yeah that's great i don't want to slag off on social media though because i do think there are a lot of people that can't get out or Mm. or they are in their homes and live so far away from their friends it can be great sitting there knowing that there's someone on the other other end of your device too and even with these kids that are sitting on their computers now um, it's sort of a positive in the fact that now they can put headphones on and, and play with their mates, maybe not in the same room, mm. but they're having a few conversation with friends as well. And I know that's not yeah. completely great, but it's better than, than what it was without oh. doing that. Um, wouldn't it be great if someone could invent a game that to carry on onto the next level, you've got to go out and do... Pokemon Go. And Pokemon Go. Yeah, right. games like that should be coming out more often. Oh, we, we played a version of Pokemon Go on our holiday... Um, we found a small, colourful rock which had found its way all the way from Tasmania. So down in Tasmania, they've they, uh, they have got these things called Tas rocks, which is just painted rocks. You take one and you find it, and you go, "Oh, I found a rock," and then you take it somewhere else and leave it for somebody else to find. And it's really, it's awesome. <laughs> so hey, I found a colourful rock. 
I, I really enjoyed that experience. Let me leave that somewhere else for somebody that had the same experience that I just had. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like Pokemon Go, only you don't need a phone to do it. Yeah, yeah again, you can't be too critical of uh, all the technology. I mean, the the technology we've got, social media is a fantastic way of spreading ideas, right? Um, the only problem with it is that like most human endeavour, 98% of it is bullshit and you've got to try and figure out what the good 2% is and focus your time on that. And that's that's difficult. Um, so, yeah, go ahead and use the social media but use the good 2% of it for keeping, keeping in touch with friends that really mean something that don't care whether or not you look good in that particular selfie. Well said. Yeah. And you, yeah. you talked about working with Indigenous communities up yeah. north. Is, what, what's really struck out to you, like, going to a whole different environment? Mm. What, 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 is there anything that you've learnt from well, that experience? What I, what I find amazing about working up there is you, you can see, and it's, and it's quite clear that you can draw the link that... that sorry, let me, let me pull back a little bit on that. That the health outcomes are quite bad. In, in these communities and uh, this I guess is reflected in the whole closing the gap initiative where someone did the sums and figured out that if you're Aboriginal Australia you're probably going to die about 15 years sooner than your white contemporaries um, the and I what I guess that doesn't really talk about I mean there's a life expectancy there but it doesn't really give you an idea of exactly how widespread things like diabetes are in the community it, the uh, seeing there and working in that environment it becomes really obvious that the things that are killing the aboriginal people in this environment are the things that white man has introduced there it's alcohol and it's sugar and it's it's uh housing which then tends to become overcrowded um and I notice that the people that are in connection with their land and going out and living, leading a more traditional lifestyle, eating more bush tucker in a, in a balanced way, um, getting out and walking around more, are generally in better health. Um, I, I mean, it's it's not always quite as simple as that, but it's certainly, to me, it's see, I can see the damage that... Uh, English colonial white society has done in this area and when I'm going in and working as a doctor I feel like I'm just barely trying to undo some of the damage which uh, the noxious substances and germs which we've introduced have done. Um, at the same time it, it also fills me with hope to see that they still have that land there and they still have a connection to that land because there's there's a whole new generation of young people coming through and realising the same things that I'm realising as a medical professional and they're really trying to, to maintain their culture and maintain their community's connection to that land and um, I'm really hopeful to see um, a lot of positive change uh, in, the, in the community that I work with um, but I won't see it any time that I'm there anytime soon, you know, it's, it's going to keep it's long-term stuff down the track. Was, what was the question? What have I learned from that? The world is important. It, uh, the, the natural world is important. We all have a connection to the natural world. It's a, it's a part of our spiritual and our psychological makeup. And we need to pay attention to that and we need to take it seriously. Because if we think that we can live under fluorescent lights and eat shit food and it won't have any consequences for our health... We're going to pay for that as we get older. I think the sad thing is, is that our kids are finding 
the world that we live in more and more normal and yeah nature becomes a bit more of a curiosity rather than something that's actually really important and fundamental to our development as human beings very well said yeah are you optimistic mate i mean there's a lot of talk yeah nature play and you know different things yeah yeah i am optimistic actually i think um i think that we are there's there's been a great a great shift in uh, environmental mindedness uh, i think i mean I don't know if it sort of happened from when we were kids or if it sort of happened over the last 20, 30 years. There's certainly, there, there is a lot more passion for it in schools and there are great environmental educators or environmentally minded teachers. And I think, uh, yeah, nature play is fantastic. We, we sort of, we're starting to recognise that kids need to get away from the screen. And um, I am quite optimistic that we could do that. At the same time, despite the fact we're trying to do that in our kids, our industries and our jobs are still very much focused on money and money is best made by exploiting nature there's not necessarily a lot of a lot of money in really paying attention to it but we're getting better at it i think maybe the balance does appear uh, will appear somewhere down the track i don't know I, I i try not to make too many predictions about the future I certainly try not to get as worried about as my as i used to that's one of the big uh one of the big potential mental health triggers is people worrying too much about a future that they can't control so what can you control well you can control how you react to the world around you right now and uh hope for the best (laughs) i like the sound of that you remind me of the great robert anton when he said you can be a pessimist but he chooses to be an optimist because optimists are happier yeah (laughs) They, they live longer um the pessimist may be right but yeah, who but cares? Who cares? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, so no, it's, it's much better to remain optimistic about this thing, but not so optimistic that you stop trying to spread good ideas in the world. You do, you, you do need to keep trying to make the world a better place. Um, so a pessimist might be tempted to throw his hands up and stop trying. An optimist is more likely to actually do good in the world. So, yeah better off be optimistic i guess i think so i think we'll work it out yeah, yeah. i think it's the only way to save it all but you've got to keep trying you've got to keep trying one yeah. step one step at a time yeah thanks so much awesome. for coming on the show mate cheers i appreciate it always love chatting with you i do quite like the sound of my own voice even through headphones so. <laughs> <laughs> all right and guys thank you for listening thanks guys